The snow fell steadily as Olga trudged down the path that led to the railway, a boundless fretted curtain dancing on her eyelashes and resting on her shoulders like frosted icing. The house she shared with her father was on the northeastern edge of Roslasny, away from the road and towards the tracks, and soon she was beyond the last wooden shacks and outbuildings and into the woods. There, all other noises were silenced. Even the distant drone of traffic from Tega died away, replaced by the soft hiss of descending snowflakes and the crunch of her shoes compressing them into footprints. The pines on either side of the path formed the only contrast, their black trunks stark against a dazzling alabaster carpet. We are small and weak, after all, thought Olga, as she looked northwards at the great trees marching off into the distance. We are mere dots of warm blood and skin, and the Tega, Siberia's forest empire, is so vast and cold. We should protect each other against the bitter wind, not send vile letters that bring tears instead of joy. She'd hated the short walk through the outskirts of the village, looking at every darkened window and door and wondering if vicious eyes were watching her, formulating new letters to send, new rumours to spread. And she'd almost thought, no, it was nonsense. But Olga was too truthful to say it was nonsense. She had seen a face forming in the cold blue shadow of a wooden doorway. A face with hooded eyes and a cruel mouth. The face of a witch. Or was it maybe someone she knew? But then the face had disappeared, resolving into the angles formed by a dilapidated mailbox and its gaping planks. She shook her head, as she had after reading the letter. She was exhausted, that was the problem. Tired and upset and overburdened. She took a deep breath and forced herself to think about something else. Why did the first people settle here among the frozen woods, she asked herself, when they must have realised that warmer lands lay to the south? Why endure the hostility of endless winter and forego the sunshine, lemon groves and olive trees that could be reached in a few months' trekking? But if such thoughts were distracting, they were also dangerous, for they bred discontent in the hearts of railway engineers. They made her ask why she, Olga Pushkin, did not flee the frozen wastelands for a new life in some... European fleshpot. Sometimes at night, when she couldn't sleep, she would read trashy novels about women living carefree days on sunny islands in the Mediterranean, or starting brilliant new careers and meeting the man of their dreams in the same week, in decisive turning points, the hinges of new and blissful lives. And sometimes she would put her novel down and allow herself to imagine that she was one of the protagonists she admired. That she was Lara Bellagio, waitress-turned-actress in Monaco, or Odette de la Tour, millionaire heiress and luxury shoe designer in a far-off country called Mauritius. 
Surely those kinds of women didn't receive poison pen letters, criticising their achievements or charitable work. But if Olga went off to places like Monaco or Mauritius, who would look after her father and her aunt Zia and her friend Anna Kabalevsky? Who would man the little railside hut built years ago for a level crossing that had never materialised? Who would ensure the track was safe and the trains could run on time? Lara Bellagio and Odette de la Tour could hire staff to take care of things like that. Olga could not. And who would look after Dimitri, she thought, as she turned the last corner in the winding path and came upon the railway tracks glimmering like bright silver threads amid the sombre forest eaves? Who would feed him worms and snails to protect him from the cold? Dimitri was a diminutive white-breasted hedgehog that lived near her hut, 